something wrong with the school. Something doesn't feel right. Sophie, what happened? There's something here. That's not meant to be. What did you see? everybody and welcome to a new episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike and joining me as always it's Venom. How's it going Venom? Greetings and salutations people of the cloth. Yeah I'm doing pretty well Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well except I almost forgot how to intro my own damn show that I do every week. <laughs> I yeah I noticed that. I just... I'm, I'm actually surprised <laughs> that you kept that. I thought you were going to start over. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Also with us is Don and Ellie. How's it going, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here, except for the last few weeks, but that's a different episode, different uh, story. All right. Well, let's see if the streak continues as we are covering a sequel to The Nun titled The Nun 2. Very imaginative. Uh, not much of a surprise. <laughs> what is the sequel to? So the synopsis. 1956 France. A priest is murdered and evil is spreading. The sequel to the worldwide smash hit follows Sister Irene as she once again comes face to face with Balak, the demon nun. All right. Um, I guess we'll get into our general thoughts like we usually do first. So I'll start with Venom. What did you think of The Nun 2? Um, I was I was a moderate fan of the Nun one, so I kind of went into this one with fairly lowered expectations. Um, not a lot of uh, you know the Conjuring universe has really been blowing us away over the last uh, few franchise entries, so 
I kind of curbed my expectations on this one. And I'm kind of glad I did because I actually ended up enjoying this movie more than the original. Uh, I had a pretty good time with this. I actually cared about the um, uh, the protagonists uh, in a lot of these uh, kind of, um, you know, Blumhouse slash Conjuring Universe type movies. You know, it's the jump scare factory that we all expect. That is solidly there. But what surprised me was some of the character development. Because obviously our two main characters are returning from the first movie. So Irene and Maurice are back. So we don't really have to do a lot of character development for that. But then that leaves us with some room to be able to do a little bit of character development with some of the newer cast. Um you know, like the the people at the girls' school, you know, our, our main protagonist little girl, um, her mother, obviously Maurice, the headmistress. Um, so so having a little bit of time to develop the newer characters, I, I feel like it made me care a little bit more. Um, I actually wanted to see Maurice kind of make it through all this after, you know, after everything that he went through in the first movie and then – you know, um, kind of anticipating what he's going to have to go through in this movie. Um, I was really hoping that, you know, he would potentially make it through this. Um, I, I am so glad that I did not watch the trailer for this movie. I mean, you know, I don't watch any trailers. You guys already know this. It, this has been longstanding for like since well before the pandemic. I haven't watched any horror movie trailers. And I say that because the magazine rack, um, uh, scene i fucking loved it <laughs> i went back and watched the trailer after i saw the movie and i'm like oh thank god i don't watch trailers because um it just they ruin one of the best scares of the movie and and not just the scare itself but the setup to the scare i thought was so well done just really really elaborate and different and i really really dug that i'm really liking where michael chavez is going as a director this is now his third movie in the Conjuring universe, uh, the first one being La Llorona, which, you know, of course, had kind of mixed reviews. And then the second one that he did was actually The Conjuring 3, which, over, for the most part, people didn't enjoy as much as the first and the second one. I may have been the exception to that rule. I love the third one. I love that it was way more grounded, not as many over-the-top crazy villains like the Crooked Man or Valak or anything like that. You know, it just felt a lot more grounded while still having a hard supernatural element. And now this is Chavez's third film, and I'm really liking where he's going. Um, I, I really like what he did with this film. If you're a fan of the first, there's no reason you shouldn't be a fan of this one. Um, the atmosphere is there, just like in the original. Um, I, I think the storytelling is actually a little bit better. I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of um, the, the finale of the first movie. Um, you know, basically the relic, the artifact that they use to defeat Valak. It's very cringy, you know, kind of, it definitely makes you roll your eyes. No pun intended. <laughs> I just realized what I said. No pun intended towards the relic for this movie. Um, but I actually just, I, I just really enjoyed this one a little bit more as far as its finale goes. Um, I, I definitely liked it more. I, I, I like the two nuns. Yeah, Storm Reed. Storm Reed is actually was a, a nice little surprise of the movie. Uh, not a very nun-like nun, obviously. She doesn't have a whole lot of faith at the beginning of the movie. 
but I am a fan of hers. Um, her her portrayal of uh, Riley on the Last of Us TV series is absolutely stellar, and it's just really good to see her here in a supporting role. You know, she's not a star this time, but um, it's still always great to see her. But Tasia Formiga, man, she carries this film. When it comes to performances and storytelling, she really carries this film, and I love that. I think she did an amazing job. I mean, she's gonna be. To, she's gonna get to the point where she's not gonna do genre films anymore. She's gonna start moving on to like prestige dramas and things like that. So enjoy her now while we have her in the subgenre, because um, I definitely see a bright future for her. Um, overall, I thought the, the whole cast was great. Um, no major issues or you know bad line deliveries, bad dialogue. I, I thought the script was well done. Um, I thought the cold open was great. Let me tell you, my friends, any movie that sets a priest on fire and kills a child on screen in the first 10 minutes, I'm on board. Now, whether the movie kept that up throughout the, the rest of the runtime might be a little bit debatable. But, yeah, that cold open absolutely worked for me. I, I, it may be one of my favorite cold opens of the Codring universe. Uh, I just I had a really good time with it. There's some beautiful iconography in this film. Obviously, you know, you're dealing with religious horror, and I'm always fond of religious iconography in horror films, especially when used in a more you know, evil subset. So, you know, that is solidly there. I thought Bonnie Aarons as the nun was as great as usual. She even, she gets a little bit more screen time as the nun this time than she did last movie. Um, <laughs> a couple of really cool scenes where the camera's right, it's a close-up, it's right on her face, and she's just kind of throwing these sly smiles back and forth uh, to different people that she's messing with in the film. I, I thought that added a little bit of personality to the nun, almost like a fun factor that wasn't there in the first film. Um, so overall, I mean, it sounds like I'm praising the movie, but overall, it, it's really an average Conjuring film. It's it's not nearly as bad as, say, La Girona or the first Annabelle film, but it's definitely not what the first two Conjuring movies were and Annabelle creation, you know? There's like the upper echelon of the Conjuring universe and the lower echelon. And thankfully, this movie kind of falls somewhere in the middle where, you know, most people I think are going to say this is just it's average, but it's a solid conjuring effort. And like I said earlier, if you like the first nun, I think you're going to like this one uh, a little bit better because I know I did. I was a fan of the first nun. I didn't love it. I wasn't singing its praises, but everything that I liked about the first one we got in this one, and then we even got a little bit more. So I'm, I'm overall, I'm fairly happy with this one. Could it, could it have been better? Of course, it can always be better. But at least I wasn't, you know, cringing and rolling my eyes throughout the entire film. I had a pretty good time with it, to the point where the movie is an hour and 50 minutes long. And as I'm walking out of the theater, I'm thinking, man, was that like an hour and 25 minutes? That felt so fast. And then I look at the runtime, and I, and I was shocked. That, that that movie was almost two hours long. It's quick. I have heard some complaints about the first act maybe being a little bit slower and maybe some people kind of finding, um, finding it a little bit dull. But ultimately, even outside of the horror elements, I was still enthralled. Um, you know, the, the three bully girls, you know, kind of messing with our main uh, child actress. Oh. What was her name in the film? Sophie. Sophie was the main little girl that we were watching, and her mother, Kate. 
who <laughs> Kate, who looks incredibly like Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones, but that's a discussion for another day. But ultimately, I'm, I'm going to say I had a pretty good time with this one. It's not vital viewing. You know, it's not something that I would say, oh, go out and see it right away. Though I will say because of the cool atmosphere and the pretty decent sound design, if you have any interest in The Nun 2 at all, go see it in the theater. Uh, I saw it in a Dolby theater. So, yeah, all the jump scares were nice and loud with the subwoofers underneath the seat. It, it was just a really good time overall. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I would say I would say for me personally, an above average Conjuring Universe effort. I know some people might say average to maybe slightly below average, but I still had a pretty good time with this one. And they also did the cool thing where they um, – it's funny because I was just sitting here talking about not having like over-the-top characters like in the first couple of Conjuring movies. But I did actually like the fact that there's multiple – antagonist in this one uh, it's not just Valak the nun we actually get you know I mean we get a, a dead little boy we get um, <laughs> we get one creature that I'm not going to talk about right now because it's kind of a it's definitely a WTF moment when this creature first shows up on the screen it's like holy shit are you are you kidding me is that really who we think it is um, but you know, I thought the explanation of who the character was in the film works. Whether you believe it or not, maybe it's just little kids, you know, playing little kid games and getting confused. Um, or maybe it was just Valak kind of messing with these kids since they believe in the Defy the Devil game. That Maybe that was just her kind of messing with them, but... I, I'm pretty sure that Valak and this particular creature were in two different places at the exact same time, so I, you know... I'm not sure the extent of Valak's power, if she has that kind of ability to kind of project another creature in another part of the building. But for whatever it's worth, I enjoyed it. I had a pretty good time with this one. Um, I'm not going to give it a high recommend by any stretch. But if you're a fan of the Conjuring universe and you're a fan of the first Nun film, I, I don't think there's any reason you wouldn't like this one. So go check it out. And that's it for me for now. Okay, let's swing things over to Dawn. Your thoughts on The Nun 2. Uh, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I do have to say this. Uh, this was probably the weakest of Chavis's three films because I absolutely, utterly love La Llorona. I think that's the best of the entire universe outside of the first two Conjuring films. So I'm kind of surprised to hear you say you didn't like that one. I thought you'd be all over that one, Venom. You know... Heritage wise, you would think I would be all over it, and I was very excited for it. I didn't hate La Llorona, don't get me wrong. And I don't think it's necessarily the worst in the Conjuring universe, but it's definitely a below average film just for me. Ah, okay. Because I was going to say, for me, uh, that one ranks just below the first two Conjuring films, so I was kind of shocked to hear you say that you didn't like that one, so. But yeah, um, I, I mean, this is probably the weakest, I think, of his three, but I, I still think I had a pretty good time with it, especially compared to the uh, trilogy of crap we've had to endure the last month or so. Um, yeah, a lot of what he said is pretty much right on. Um, atmosphere out the wazoo. Uh, my, I love the set design here. Uh, period gothic pieces are one of my favorite film, uh, genre entries, and so um, I really enjoyed that they carried that over from the first one which was a, the big thing that I really liked about that one. Uh, you know, Jump Scare Factory, set to 10, um, you know, 
well, what can be said about the magazine rack sequence? Oh, that, that thing was fantastic. A um, couple of the other sequences didn't hit as hard, but um, it's definitely playing in well with the uh, setup that uh, the universe plays well with, so I'm definitely on board with that. I, I just I don't get a real sense of what um, Valak is supposed to be here, or the nun, or whatever they're trying to call her. I, I don't get a sense of what her endgame actually is, and it was kind of similar to how I felt about her in the first one, where I, I don't know what she's actually trying to do here other than just appear and, you know, terrify people. I, I don't know what she's actually trying to accomplish by targeting nuns. So I, I don't really have this real sense of fear from her because she doesn't actually, uh, for me at least, seem to have an end game where she's actually there to do something, you know, steal this relic that's being, you know, stored safely or, you know, target somebody that's done her wrong in the past or, you know, something like that where there there's an end game to her appearance and what she's trying to do. Whereas here it just seems like, you know, it's just, you know, this figure shows up and it's causing mischief and somebody's got to try to figure out how to, you know, turn it away or stop it or put it into things. And that's fine, but I, I don't really get, you know, if we're applying conjuring logic to this from what we know about her in part two, about this being this be-all, end-all demon, I, I don't really get that from this. And... It, it kind of just makes her feel like a, you know, monster of the week kind of a thing where this could have been taken out and any old, you know, figure could have been placed in there. I, I don't think that that's a necessarily bad thing, but like I said, if we're trying to make this this be-all, end-all demon that this world-renowned, high highest of the high-quality paranormal investigators is scared to death of, I just don't feel it here. And... I, I don't know if that's just, you know, maybe I'm, you know, incorrectly placing that kind of logic into the film or if I'm, you know, reading it the wrong way. But I, I just don't see what her endgame is. And for a figure like this where that, that seems to be what the, end, you know, what the purpose of the film is supposed to be, it kind of feels me, leaves me feeling a little, you know, like apathetic towards things by like the third act when you don't really understand what's going on and, all you're getting is just random, you know, jump scare factory sequences and, you know, things popping up out of no places where they shouldn't be. I, I understand that that's, you know, the, the, you know, purpose of these kinds of films. But for me, I, I would really rather establish that there, you know, like that there'd be something established about, you know, her purpose there. And I, I, I just don't get it. But uh, other than that, I, I don't have too many complaints. Um, and I mean, yeah, Venom said a lot of what I was going to say, so uh, I'm going to ride that one uh, I, again for most of my thoughts here. Uh, and I, I mean, I wish I could could have seen it in that particular theater because um, I, I do appreciate the Jump Scare Factory approach that Blumhouse does so well. But yeah, uh, a, a lot of what he said is pretty much right in line with where I stand on it. Uh, you know, great to see, you know, the main two again. Um, I, I really liked them in the first one, so it's great to see them back again. New characters aren't, you know, annoying and irritating. Uh, you know, they're they're fun to be around in the quiet scenes when they're you know, just trying to figure out who's who and attach names to people so you realize who's in danger later on. N you know, nothing really stands out as being overly bad 
you know, for this kind of a big genre effort, I mean, you know, your tolerance for this Bloomhouse approach may vary, but for me, I, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, I appreciate it and look at them as like some of the best mainstream horror, um, not, not, not like, you know, indie or streaming kind of genre fair, but like mainstream blockbuster kind of theatrical work. The, the Bloomhouse approach is one of my favorites and I, I really enjoy just about everything. I think there's only maybe one or two entries in the franchise that I'm not a huge fan of, but yeah, overall, I don't have too much else to add. Uh, you know, if you enjoyed the others and, you know, you're a fan of the style, I don't see why this wouldn't be a, you know, fun time. Eh, shave maybe five minutes off and I'd be a little, I'd probably enjoy it a little better because I do think the first half could, you know, trim off some of the, re, you know, re, repetitive motions of just going through the cast. But other than that, I don't have too much to really complain about, uh, you know, other than, uh, you know, what I brought up earlier about what Valak is supposed to be doing. But, yeah, uh, that's pretty much where I, I stand on things, at least. Okay, so for me, I kind of agree with both of you guys. Like, I, I do like this one slightly better than the first one. Honestly, I, I I don't remember a ton of the first one. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I, I saw it in the theater. I have never seen it since. But I, I remember enough to know that the nun did nun things, right? The, the nun was a scary character that jumped out at the appropriate times for jump scares. Continued this one. I would even say maybe this one kind of ramped it up a little. Like this is – you could call this movie like – or you, you could approach this as where is – the nun going to pop out of next is it a magazine rack is it the wall is it the ground is it a curtain is it a sheet because it the nun covers the gambit on jump scares in this one uh so like for that i think in, in that way it's more effective than the first even um in being that style of movie but then i also agree with dawn like story wise and like the objective and what the nun's like actual objective or purpose is i'm i'm still not quite sure other than to be scary um which is okay i guess like if, if that's what the nun is there to be it, it's done effectively i agree with venom as far as like the uh, sound design um it, it's it's well done uh formiga is is great as she usually always is um i i would say like whether you, you need to see this in the theater or not it's kind of based on what you thought of the first one if you if you were entertained by the first one i would say go see it if you didn't like the first one i don't know how, you might like this one slightly more but i don't think it's gonna like win you over to the nun fan club you know um but there is an audience for this because this took in 32.6 domestically winning the box office and another 52.7 internationally so that's a debut of 85.3 on its opening weekend so um the nun three could be on its way, not anytime soon because of the Could. strike and all that. But uh, I mean, it made the money to justify it, and and the fact that like so far we've had two nun movies where it didn't really require the strongest story. People didn't care; they went to see it. They wanted to see the scary nun <laughs> do scary things, and if that's if that's the threshold for people to see it, then it's a success. So. Um, did you you guys stuck her I'm not we we won't go over but you stuck around for like the mid credit scene always okay yeah well, we can mm -hmm. get into that during spoilers but um yeah so like we I mean obviously we already knew going into these movies the connective tissue to the conjuring universe 
Uh, there's a point in the movie that they kind of make it more pronounced. Um, or not not more pronounced, but they just kind of give us a little, I guess, maybe Easter egg bonus uh, of, uh, of the Conjuring universe. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add to the general thoughts because I kind of agree with both of you guys um, in, in what you said. I, I would definitely say it's a little bit better. Even I am rankings would reflect that. I think the first one is sitting at 5.3. Obviously, you, you know, it's been out a good, what, three, four, five years now. So that's probably a more permanent score where the new ones uh, at a 6.0, a lot newer. So that could probably shift and move a lot more in the next like six months. But uh, mm-hmm. it seems like reaction is kind of reflective of what we, of what we say that this one it's it's better it's not leagues better it's not like knock your socks off better but it does it, it kind of does what the first one did well just better um so yeah, yeah. I, I can i can see if the first one had a 5.1 or 5.2 like you said i can see this one settling at 5.5 5.6 yeah i think that's a fair assessment I mean, not um, that you know we, not that we do that for for real, but I, I can probably see that settling down somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agreed. Um, I th- yeah, I think that's like it actually for my general thoughts. Like, I, you guys kind of covered like everything that I had to say, both on the positive and the the negative. So uh, I'll throw it back to you for now, Venom. Yeah, I mean, to that point, the movie is fairly one note. And, you know, it doesn't really leave you a whole lot to talk about. It's like, yeah, Valak jumps out of here, Valak jumps out of here, Valak jumps out of here. And then we get a finale and we get to go home. So it's like walkthroughs for movies like this are usually just more about the set pieces, about the cool set pieces that are in the film, as opposed to actually like watching, you know, character arcs and story development and things like that. Um, Okay, so it's kind of funny. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna say this. Uh, not that you know. Not that I know that you guys are familiar with the original or not. But would you say that the set pieces here are better or worse than the original, if you're familiar with them? Uh, not going uh, into detail, but would you say they're better or worse? I think I, they're I better think, in the first. Because I, was Cause I say, remember. Because I, uh, I, I absolutely adore the whole thing with the nuns, with all the nuns in that uh, scene near the end where they're all like bowing. Um, and, and then their eyes, I, I can't remember specifically what the, the quote-unquote horror of the scene was, but I do remember absolutely loving that scene. Where it, Whereas in this movie, obviously, the cold open is going to stick with me, the magazine rack is going to stick with me, um, our little horn friend that runs around the school is going to stick with me. Um, but I think overall, the gothic atmosphere and element of the first one, especially because it's the first time you experience it, um, it, it just felt a little bit fresher, a little bit better. Whereas, whereas the second time around, you have to do a lot more to get that same kind of fresh feeling of, yeah, I just saw something new and different. Um, so I'm going to say I, I would lean towards the first. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think the magazine rack is probably the standout in the of the yeah. two, just individually. But I think overall, as a collective whole, I do think the original is maybe just like you know, like slightly better. I think just overall, like you said, the the finale yeah. is one of my favorite parts of that one. And I, I'm tr- I'm struggling to think because it's been a few years since I've seen it. 
And I actually looked it up to compare, and I can't even find my review for it. So it must have been before I started reviewing. So it's not there. I couldn't. I didn't have enough time to go back and because I I was. I came home from the theater and I went to look at it and I went to like compare the two because I was trying to. I was going to come up with this and see what you guys thought about them based on you know just being jump scare factory sequences. And I went to find my review and it wasn't there. So I, I checked around and it was before. It must have been before I started doing it, so it's not online. So I was like, ah, crap. You know, I don't have time to go do it since I got home from work late. But, yeah, um, I was going to say, I I think overall, I think as an individual set piece, I think this one here maybe has, like, a better individual one. But I think overall, I think as a whole, part one is a little bit better. Yeah, I can see that. Let's see. Um, there's a scene in the movie where a spirit entity villain, whatever you want to go with, uh, uses one of those. Um, what do you call those things? The little uh, the altar boys carry them, and there's smoke coming out of them. I think they're burning like some kind of sage or incense in there, and he's just kind of swinging it to kind of bless the church. I, I know that thing has a name, but I'm not a religious person, so I, I have no idea what the name of that thing Those is. But there's a sage balls? Those like sage uh, balls? Possibly. That that sounds yeah. quite valid actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go with that. Um but yeah, <laughs> the scene with the headmistress of the school and and that antagonist that uses that sage ball on her, I, I love that scene. Because anytime I see somebody doing something unholy with a holy artifact or a holy relic, I'm, I'm on board for it. My nipples get hard. I get all happy. And, yeah, that scene really, really worked for me here, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's some memorable uh, set pieces here. Um, if, I mean, like I said, if we're talking scares, I would probably lean towards the first because everything is so fresh and new and you, you're not aware of it yet. You haven't spent two whole movies with Valak at, the, at that point. Um, and, and here it's like, okay, we know who Valak is. We know her tricks or his tricks, depending on <laughs> the gender of the demon. Do demons have genders? I don't know. Um, but yeah, like, you know, we already know about Valak. We know what they like to do, what she likes to do, what... Um, you know, the jump scares and everything else. So you kind of have to give us something a little bit new, which they didn't really give us. But I will say that some of the uh, some of the just extended tension in the scenes were really, really good. Um, there was a scene later in the film where um, the teacher, Kate, is running around, running through the school with a bunch of, of the students, of the girls at the school. And that's like an extended scene of like just tension, tension and dread, um, and everything else. And um, another scene that I'm glad I didn't see in the trailer because they put that scene in the trailer too. You know, the scene where the little girl climbs through the air duct and sees, you know, what she sees in the room. Like that's in the trailer. Uh, that would have been ruined for me too. So yeah. Um, it seems like every other horror movie I watch, I get more and more reasons to not watch trailers. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Um, man, what else can we talk about that doesn't tread into spoilers? Um, I thought Maurice was great. Though, if you guys pay attention, if you guys really pay attention to the original Conjuring film, um, I think you know where Maurice is going after this. I don't want to say anything. It's not really a spoiler because the original Conjuring films, like what? The 2000s? 
So, um, Conjuring scholars will know what I'm talking about when it comes to Maurice and the original Conjuring film. If you don't, I'm not going to spoil it. Go back and watch the original Conjuring. I know it's probably been a long time for a lot of people, but it's funny how the original Conjuring kind of almost guarantees that we're getting a Nun 3. <laughs> and I'm not going to say why. I'll let you guys try to figure it out. But, yeah. Um but like I said, there's just there's not really a whole lot to nitpick in this movie. Yeah, I wish there was more gore. Yeah, I wish there was more on-screen kills. Um, I wish there were almost any on-screen kills. I mean, this is a not to say that there's no kills in this film. Of course there are, but you get the majority of them in the cold open, and then you only get like one or two scattered throughout the film. So the body count is fairly low, you know, considering Valak is like an uber you know, powerful demon. Uh, I'd like to see a bigger body count. I'd like to see a, but obviously again, it's Blumhouse. Was this PG-13? No, this was rated R. So yeah, there's no reason they couldn't have gone. This was R? This was rated R. According to IMDb, I'm looking at it right now, rated R. Holy crap. Yeah, there wasn't even that much language. I mean, because obviously the the whole movie takes place in monasteries or a girl's school. So there's not a whole lot of language in here either. So that's a weird one. But, yeah, it is rated R, according to this. Too bad. Um, hmm. I don't know. What else can we talk about here? Um, obviously, I don't have notes since this was a theatrical uh, release. But, um, yeah, overall. Oh, and I, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier. I might have. But I actually love that the bully chick in this one kind of gets hers a little bit later in the film um i'm always you guys know that i'm a petty vindictive bastard and if you piss me off throughout the course of a film i want to see you get hurt and i'm very happy that despite the bully in this being a teenage girl she she still gets a gnarly injury later in the film which made me smile from ear to ear but <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit um man not a lot of priests in this movie did you notice the the lack of priests in this movie? Like it seems like the only couple of priests that we get are like set on fire. Oh, and then the the main mm. guy from the Vatican who comes and you know tells Irene, <laughs> which kind of uh, one of the reviews I I read for this movie actually said that that scene almost makes it feel like a Men in Black situation. That you know th- this guy who's a representative of the pope just shows up and says oh i need you to go investigate this thing since you have experience with it 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 comes off as very police procedural which is kind of weird but yeah somebody called it men in black in the church and eh, i found that kind of funny <laughs> uh i don't know you guys got anything else to to kind of discuss before we get into spoilers uh just that i agree with you that this the the set, the preset on fire scene is excellent. Um, oh, and I mean, <laughs> anytime anybody's set on fire, like literally just set ablaze like that, you know, like very hereditary, I I'm on board for. And if it's a priest, even better. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm and, a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, and being willing to off kids is never a bad thing in a horror movie either. Absolutely. I mean, it's a quick scene, but at least it was on screen. You know, I'm kind of sick of uh, kid deaths in horror movies being off screen or being fairly tame. Now, this one, I mean, this one's not quite 
you know, what Dr. Sleep is, you know, that, that kill scene of a child is probably one of the most epic child kill scenes ever. But um, still, to be able to see a kid die on, man, people must think I hate kids, and I really don't. I, I just like when movies don't limit themselves and don't censor themselves and actually go after the taboo. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'll give I'll give a movie credit for that anytime. All right, folks, this is your final spoiler warning. We're going to get into our very quick walkthrough of this one. I mean, you know, if you've seen a Blumhouse movie, you've seen The Nun too. But let's go over it anyway. Uh, our, mo- our movie opens up um, in a cold open. Um, we are brought to a church where we see a priest and his altar boy uh, preparing the sacrificial wine for the mass. After the mass is over, we see the little boy taking the um, the glass like carboy. I think they're called carboys. Um, if you brew, if you homebrew, you know what a carboy is. If you don't homebrew, you probably don't. So. For the few people out there who might actually make their own beer at home, uh, basically the altar boy has a carboy of um, wine that he's bringing back down to the basement where they keep it. Of course, when he's down there, you know, he, he gets freaked out by something. He goes running up the stairs to let the priest know, I, I don't think we're alone. There's somebody here. The priest instantly believes the boy and goes out into the main part of the church, you know, the, the altar and the pews and everything. And uh, is basically like they can hear that there's something going on. It's not ultra loud, but, you know, there's knocking, there's footsteps, there's, you know, noises that aren't normal. Eventually, the priest comes up to the altar, asks if anyone is there, and suddenly he just goes into the Jesus Christ pose and floats about 10 feet up in the air um, and just is set on fire. Literally, he just boom, bursts into flame just an awesome, awesome image. Our altar boy, you know, obviously freaks out. He runs away. Unfortunately, you ain't getting away from Valak that easy. Um, eventually, Valak does catch up to the boy, grabs him by the neck, pins him up to a wall, snaps his neck, and and basically, she had to have continued, even after snapping the neck, she had to have continued to attack the boy, because then we see blood start flowing down the rest of the body. But the neck break we see, it's right on fucking screen. It's awesome. So kudos there. And then we go to our title card. That's the end of our cold open. After that, we are reintroduced to Maurice. Uh, If you remember Maurice, who was the survivor, the final boy, if you will, from the first Nun movie. He is now, um, where does this movie take place? The first, the second, oh, it is all France. Okay, it's just different parts of France. Okay. Uh, So basically, Maurice has moved to a different part of France. Um, He now works at a girls' school, trying to obviously get his life straightened up after the events of the first film. Um, We are also introduced to Kate, who seems to be the only teacher at this school. Um, It's a fairly small school. It is a girls' school. All the girls are right around the same age. Like, there's no no drastic differences in age. It's not like there's five-year-olds running around with 16-year-olds or anything. For the most part, they're, like, you know, early to mid-teenage girls. We are introduced to Kate. She's, like, the instructor to these girls. And her daughter, um, uh, what's her daughter's name? I forgot already. Sophie. Her daughter, Sophie 
is a um, a classmate here. She attends this school with her mother teaching classes, and so so we get a little bit of character development there, a little bit of introductions. We meet the headmistress, uh, um, Madame Laurent, as they call her, and we meet another couple. We meet a couple other nuns too throughout, but you know, and, and then we meet our bullies. Our, our bullies are Simone, Celeste, and I forgot the name of the third girl. Or should I say, it's not listed here on IMDb, but Simone, Celeste being kind of the ringleader bully. Um, Simone being kind of her toady that does anything that, that um, Celeste asks her to do. Blah blah blah, and. Um, Eventually, we are reintroduced to um, Sister Irene, of course, the hero from the first film. And uh, basically, she is getting just like weird premonitions and things like that. Like she feels like something is off. Eventually, a representative of the Pope comes down to her monastery and, as I mentioned earlier, basically tells her – you know, we don't think the demon has been vanquished. We think the demon is back because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, during this scene, uh, it's kind of impl- not even implied. They actually show us the fact that um, Valak possesses Maurice um, in a way that we, I mean, we obviously when we watch the first movie, we know know that Maurice was being possessed. But by the time the movie is over, we figure Valak has been dispatched and Maurice is no longer possessed. This is where we get the reveal that Maurice was possessed the entire time. Uh, We see a scene where Malak is holding Maurice up by his neck and a snake, like a serpent of some kind, comes out of her mouth and goes into Maurice's mouth, basically possessing him. So this is, like I said, this is where we get the reveal that Maurice has been possessed this entire time. But Valak has just been kind of biding her time to try to figure out what's what. Now, um, the priest thinks, um, you know, the, the representative of the Pope thinks that Valak, that he knows what Valak is going after. And earlier in the film, we have Sister Irene um, talk to Sister Deborah about St. Lucy of Syracuse. And St. Lucy is the patron saint of the blind. And we, we actually get a pretty sad story about how some very anti-religious people um, who lived in the same village as St. Lucy, or as Lucy, uh, basically hated her. They thought that she was evil, blah, blah, blah. They actually tried to burn her at the stake like a witch, but she wouldn't burn. The story is that the flames wouldn't keep up they just kept going out and that she wouldn't burn so the townspeople were getting upset about it so then they decided to basically poke out her eyes they literally stab her in both of her eyes we do see this in a flashback scene thankfully and and then eventually after she's her eyes are poked out they're able to actually set her on fire officially this time but as 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 basically a middle finger to god and the church they do not bury St. Lucy's body with her eyes. They keep her eyes. So basically, they, they, they keep her eyes in like a metal tin, and it's just passed down from generation to generation within this family. This, you know, this family that, you know, apparently had a problem with St. Lucy when she was alive. Um, it is revealed, or the representative of the Pope basically says that that's what he thinks Valak is after. He thinks that if Valak gets a hold of the eyes of St. Lucy, she will be like all powerful and 
basically be able to open portals and let demons in and blah, 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 blah. But then he tells Irene, the eyes can be the downfall of humanity, but they also could defend us. You could, you could potentially use them as a very powerful weapon against Valak. It doesn't really give her any explanation, just says that, that they could be used as a powerful weapon. So basically the film is just um, Irene and uh, Deborah trying to figure out where the eyes of St. Lucy might be. As it turns out, um, the family who had the eyes basically buried them under a monastery. Um, I don't know why, but that's what they did. They buried it under a monastery. The monastery was eventually sold to a winery. So the monastery became a winery, and then after the winery went out of business, that's when it became, became the girls' school that we see today. So there are multiple scenes in this movie when we go down to the basement and there's barrels of wine all over the place. Seems odd, you might say. Why would winemakers leave a bunch of full barrels of wine? Well, don't forget, Valak is potentially at this location, and if the if the the people that made the wine were haunted, it makes complete sense that they would have just said, "Fuck the wine, let's get out of here. I ain't going back in there to get the wine. Let's just go." So you know, I'll suspend disbelief there for why a girls' school has upwards of fifty barrels of wine in the basement, um, which actually does come into play later on in the film. But we'll get into that. Well, I was going to say religion should drive anyone to drink. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so um, anyway, the point is, is that once the priest says um, the winery is now a girl's school, instantly Irene remembers that Maurice, after the events of the first movie, went to a girl's school to, you know, just kind of get his life back together, you know, continue doing the, the kind of the groundskeeping work that he was doing in the first movie. So basically, uh, Irene and Deborah decide, okay, we have to go to the mon- we have to go to the girls' school where Maurice now is. Uh, they end up getting there, but by the time they get there, the shit has already hit the fan. Like Maurice has already actively acting, you know, like he is possessed. He is actively attacking people. <laughs> I got to give credit for Maurice, man. He will s- and Maurice, of course, possessed by Valak, but. He does not have any problem smacking teenage girls around a fucking building. At one point, he hits one of the girls so hard she flies across the room and into a window. He does the exact same thing to Irene later in the film. Like, this guy just, or well, I should say Valak. Valak has no love for these people because just smacking them around. And how these people get back up, I mean, Irene looks like she's 98 pounds soaking wet but she gets slammed up against the wall and still dis- and still is able to get up. Now, uh, there was one important thing that I kind of skipped over, and that was deny the devil. Uh, basically, the three bully girls uh, take um, Kate's daughter, um, Sophie, to a closed-off part of the school. It's basically an old chapel that isn't in use anymore. Um, it's closed off supposedly because it's dangerous. You know, um, you know, people could get hurt in there. Blah blah blah. They end up going in there because all the girls at the school play this game called Deny the Devil, and what it is is um, inside of the old um, the chapel. 
there's still stained glass windows. One of the stained glass windows is a goat with a red eye. And they say that that's Satan. That's a representation of Lucifer in the stained glass. They say that if you stand at a certain spot at a certain time of day, the sun will shine through the eye so that the eye is glowing red. Once the eye starts growing, glowing red, you have to continue staring at it. If you look away, if you break your gaze from the stained glass window, supposedly Satan, yes, Satan himself, will appear in the form of a monstrous goat and basically torment you. So when they play the game, um, actually Sophie does really, really well. She sits there, she does not break the gaze, and when the sun finally moves away enough that um, the red eye is no longer shining, she looks away, realizes that the three girls have left her in there by herself. She goes running to the, to the gated door, they're at the door holding it shut so that she can't get out, of course. Sophie's screaming, trying to get out. And then Maurice shows up, and he's able to save the day and, you know, get her out of there. That's important because later in the film, we actually do get a physical representation of that goat. There's a great scene in a spiral staircase in the school where after the shit has hit the fan and Maurice is solidly possessed and Valak basically isn't hiding her appearance anymore. Um, it's Deborah, uh, Storm Reed's character. She's looking for the rest of the girls so that they can, she can gather them all up and they can stay together. While, while she's at the stairs going up there, um, she's at the lower level. Um, at about the middle level is the girls' dorm, dormitory where they sleep, and then there's like an attic up at the third level. So when Deborah shines her flashlight up to see, I think it's um, Simone, when she turns her flashlight up to see Simone, she sees that Simone is on the second floor, and then Simone says, I think there's someone upstairs. Deborah then tilts the flashlight even higher up to the third floor, and we see a horned figure crouching in the corner. Eventually, Deborah is able to angle the flashlight enough so that, that she could shine it right on it, on the creature, and it is a fucking monstrous goat creature. Literally, it's like a humanoid, um, it does kind of look like Satan. I mean, red eyes, horns, um, it runs on all fours, but it still has very humanoid qualities to it. Like, it could easily stand up on its hind legs and look fairly human, but... I just thought that was an awesome, like, addition to the film. Um, you know, on top of Valak, we also got this great I, – I, I don't want to say it's, Satan because I don't think it's actually Satan. It's a um, I think up, that's it's just a, Valak. It's a su super version of Black Phillip. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go with that. It's even Blacker Phillip. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously – I don't think it was actually Satan. I think that's just Valak fucking with the girl's fear because they have the fear of the deny the devil game. So she's just like, ah, fuck it. It's kind of like the little kid in The Conjuring who had the cro the crooked man carousel. And then later in the film, the crooked man comes to life and chases the kid. So, you know, which gave us a nice little set piece. Um, so, yeah, same thing with here, uh, with this one. We get a cool set piece with the goat creature kind of chasing the girls around. 
eventually the creature gets um, Kate and the rest of the girls trapped in a room. And the main bully, Celeste, the ringleader of the bullies, she's kind of holding, she's got her back against the door, and she's holding the door shut because, you know, the goat creature is right outside the door trying to get in. And we just hear a big slam as the goat creature literally slams its horns through the door, and one of them goes through Celeste's chest. It's on the opposite side of her heart, so it's probably not fatal, depending on if they punctured a lung. I think it might have been above the lungs. It might have been pretty close to the shoulder. But, yeah, just to see that dumb little bitch kind of get her come up for all the shit that she pulled on Sophie throughout the film, uh, it makes a petty guy like me very happy. So I thought that was a nice little addition. Um Eventually, we do get a set piece where the headmistress goes into the chapel after it's locked up, and she ends up seeing um, the spirit of her son, who was an altar boy. And I, I'm not sure if he died in that chapel. Maybe that's why. Cause they never give us an explanation as to why the chapel is locked, other than it's not safe, um, which is true. I mean, if you look in there, it's all decrepit and shitty, so... Um, they're not exact. They're not exactly uh, exaggerating necessarily, but I, you know, obviously something happened in there. So the headmistress one night goes in there after finding Maurice at the entrance in a trance. Maurice was just kind of standing at the entrance, staring at the door in a trance. The headmistress tells him, kind of wakes him up, snaps him out of it, tells him to go back to his room. She then enters the chapel to find out what the hell, you know, everybody's so infatuated with the chapel for and while she's in there she sees um the ghostly image of her dead child and you know she calls out to him she starts to get sad and this is the scene where he's got that sage ball i guess and he just starts using it like a morning star and just starts beating the shit out of his mother with this thing until finally she falls not falls but like kind of um, is pushed backwards towards a set of metal hooks. Um, I'm not sure what the purpose of these metal hooks are, but there's like a series of metal hooks on a like stand in that chapel. Eventually, um, Valak or whoever makes one of those hooks fall down. It slams right into the top of the woman's head, and she basically bleeds out and dies. Her body is found the next day. And which just kind of jumpstarts, you know, more of what's going on here. Um, um, I guess we can kind of start getting towards the end. Like I said, I'm skipping multiple set pieces. Um, there's a great set piece where the girls are trying to escape in the third act. They end up finding um, uh, the air shaft that goes into the headmistress's bedroom. One of them, I believe it is Celeste herself, actually goes in there through the air duct, sees the headmistress uh, image, you know, spirit, whatever you want to go with, uh, in the room. Eventually she gets attacked. Um, it's kind of funny because I think most people expected that to be Valak, but it was actually the headmistress who had just died a couple of days earlier. So that was kind of interesting. Um and then that leads us to the final confrontation. Basically, we're in the basement. Um, Valak is down there in all her glory, no longer hiding her appearance. She's just out in the open, like, you know, fuck you, look at me, here I am. Um, Maurice is still um, possessed, and at one point, 
uh, uh, what do you call it? What's her name? Irene. Basically, uh, Sister Irene um, tries to help uh, Maurice by taking. Oh, I forgot. I forgot to mention. They do eventually find the eyes of um, Saint Lucy, uh, and they do. They are in the chapel, buried under the ground. It turns out that the light flash uh, shining through the red eye of the goat is actually of <laughs> it's Indiana Jones all over again. Basically it points to the spot on the ground where the eyes of St. Lucy are buried. They eventually figure that out. They dig up the eyes and uh, basically during the finale, Maurice attacks Irene. She still has the eyes in her hand in the metal tin. She basically holds them up against um, Maurice's forehead starts saying some prayers. Um, obviously, Maurice reacts very violently to it. He ends up falling to the ground with blood coming out of every orifice on his head. Eyes, ears, nose, mouth. There's just blood coming out of everything, and his eyes are open. So it looks like Maurice is dead. It looks like in the process of um, exercising Valak out of Maurice's body, he ends up dying. Lo and behold, he does end up getting up again later and continuing his attack against Irene. Eventually, Valak is able to corner Irene, and she is able to get the eyes away from her. And then Valak has the eyes in her hand, and this is where she basically turns into like a 12-foot fucking demon standing in the church. I'm sure she didn't actually grow to that height, but basically... It looks like she starts to float, but her um, her clothing, whatever you call nunnery, the the nun's clothing, the habit, that's it. Uh, basically, the habit also extends. So it so she's floating about twelve feet in the air, but the habit is extending all the way down to the ground. So it actually looks like Valak is like you know standing twelve feet above everybody. Um, eventually, Irene is able to kind of figure out that they were able to defeat Valak with the blood of Christ in the first movie. If you guys remember earlier, I mentioned that the finale of the first movie was a little, I don't know, over the top in the sense that somehow hundreds of thousands of years later, they have, they somehow still have liquid blood of Christ. Like they have the actual blood of the man himself in a vial and that they, they utilize that to defeat Valak in the first one. Obviously, that's not an option for this movie. There is no more blood of Christ that anybody knows about, but we have a basement full of sacrificial wine that hasn't been blessed yet. So in the course of the battle, the, the fairly long you know, finale battle of the film, multiple barrels of wine are broken open. You know, they get smashed, uh, people get smashed into them, debris gets smashed into them, and eventually there's a nice layer of wine right on the ground, basically connecting, it's, it's touching everything in the room, including the other barrels of wine. And eventually Irene comes up with the idea of, okay, let's pray and bless this wine. So her and Deborah, they basically put their hands together, they put their hands in onto the wine on the ground, um, they say, you know, a prayer to bless the wine. And basically, as soon as Irene says amen at the end of the prayer, all of the barrels of wine explode and pretty much engulf Valak. And Valak basically um, is set on fire. 
which he's been doing to multiple people throughout the movie, including Irene at one point, but luckily Irene was able to uh, get out of it. And, yeah, basically the sacrificial line engulfs her. She deteriorates into nothing. Maurice wakes up, you know, alive and well and not possessed, at least according to what we know. And that's the end of our film. I mean, we get we get a happy little conclusion where we see Maurice and Kate. And I didn't even mention the fact that Maurice and Kate have like a developing um, romance throughout the film. Um, and to the point where little Sophie is actually happy about it. She likes Maurice and she wants her mom to kind of get together with them. Um, so this little, you know, blossoming romance kind of develops throughout the movie. And then at the end of the movie, after Valak has been dispatched and Irene is once again leaving, um, to, you know, to go back to her home monastery, we see Maurice back to normal, back to planting his tomatoes um, we see Kate and Sophie, everybody's happy, and Irene and Deborah say their goodbyes, and and off they go, and the credits start to roll, and, you know, uh, we think that's the end of our film, but of course, this is a Conjuring film, very much like a Marvel movie, you have to expect at least a mid-credits scene, and we do get that. And what we end up getting with this one, if you guys remember... In The Conjuring 1, when um, the Warrens are in class and they're showing the, the, the film footage of the exorcism that they performed, do you remember who that exorcism was on? They said it was a French farmer named Maurice. And the footage in the film is older. It shows an older Maurice, on top of the fact that it shows Ed and Lorraine Warren performing an exorcism. Don't forget, this movie takes place in 1956. Ed and Lorraine Warren are probably teenagers in the 50s. So, it kinda, that's what I was talking about earlier, that we kind of know Maurice's fate. Maurice is still fucked. It sucks because he got his happy ending. You know, he's Valak-free. He's got a romance, a burgeoning romance, but... If you remember the scene from the original Conjuring, you know there's going to be a nun three and Maurice is fucked. So yeah, kind of a kind of a kind of a spoiler within uh, a 15 year old movie, but I kind of like it. I, I thought it was a cool little sunback. Anyway, um, the scene itself, we hear a phone ringing. Uh, this is the mid credit scene. We hear a phone ringing, and then we hear someone pick it up, and we hear a female voice go, Mr. Warren, Mr. Warren, someone's trying to, someone wants to speak to you. And then we see Ed and Lorraine Warren, Vera Farmiga, and Patrick Wilson. They come on the phone, or, or uh, Patrick, uh, you know, Ed Warren goes on the phone, and he says, yes, and it's a priest on the phone. He says, yes, Father, what can we do for you? And then he, you know, we start we don't hear what's being said on the other line, but we can see that both Vera and Patrick's um, facial expression kind of changes like, ah, time to go to work. And that's where the movie ends. So basically this is setting up what will eventually be the Warrens exercising the spirit from Maurice. Will they be successful? Will they not? We'll have to find out in the conjuring four hmm. or into the nun three, whichever one comes first. <laughs> The Nunjuring. The Nunjuring. <laughs> I like my title. The Nun 2, even nunnier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
That is yeah, the none two. Yeah, overall, like I said, I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I kind of like it. Uh, multiple set pieces that I like, multiple characters that I like, and what uh, an element of horror films that always, always frustrates me is bullying among little kids. Like, you know, when a group of kids bullies, you know, the outcast. But in this movie, it wasn't insipid. You know what I mean? Like, you could you could stand it. Like, they weren't trying to hurt Sophie. They were just fucking with her. They were playing pranks on her. It's not like the girls knew Valak was in there. So, you know, um, to, in their defense. Um, but, yeah. That and was, it's, not like it was, it's not like it was Fear Street 78 where the pranks are actually malicious and malicious exactly. acts that are actually going to kill somebody if they pull it off. Exactly. Yeah, big time. You know, they're just kind of little kids, you know, messing with the girl, messing with the only girl who has her mom there at the school, you know, the princess, if you will. So, you know, they feel the need to kind of knock her down a peg or two. But ultimately, even those scenes weren't insipid to me, you know, I didn't hate Mm -hmm. watching the bullying. They didn't they didn't lay it on too thick. We didn't get excessive scenes of bullying, only like one or two. Um, So, yeah, just overall, I, I really did enjoy this movie. All right, cool. Uh, so that's going to wrap up our chat on The Nun 2 and this episode, but let's find out where else we can be heard. So, Venom, what do you got? All right. Um, no More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Episode 19 is available, or at least it should be by the time you you are listening to this episode, I did submit the episode to our um, network head to get uploaded, but I didn't see a message from him today. I will hit him up tonight and make sure that he saw my message because I didn't even get a response. But um, the, the episode is ready. It's out. Or, I mean, it's in the hands of our network head. It's just a matter of it getting uploaded. So look out for that. On that episode, we looked at the Ray Harryhausen classic um, 20 Million Miles to Earth from 1957, one of Don's favorites. So, you know, you know Don's going to have a lot of positives to say. So check out that episode when you can. Um, the main show, episode 55, still our latest episode. As of right now, knock on wood, we have plans to record episode 56 this Friday, which are my picks. I'm not going to tell you what the picks are, but I will say we're heading to Japan for our next episode of the main show. Um, And not classic Japan either. We're talking modern Japanese movies. So let that stew in your brain for a couple of weeks. But yeah, hopefully, if everything goes well, that gets recorded this Friday, and hopefully we'll be out maybe by the end of next week. Other than that, I am preparing to take off to Las Vegas tomorrow morning. I'm flying to Vegas for work, but you know I'm going to partake in as much debauchery as I can get my hands on. <laughs> so um, <laughs> this is going to be the shortest Vegas trip. I've, I've never been to Vegas for less than a week. I'm only going to be there for two days. Literally, I fly out Tuesday morning. I fly back Thursday night. So... I don't know how much debauchery you can get in in two and a half days while still working because this is a work trip technically. So uh, I'll report in next week with all of the highlights. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds fun. Uh, there won't be any shortage of opportunity, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Don, what about you? What do you got? Yeah, as mentioned, uh, Creature Comforts, uh, which, you know, should be available sooner rather than later. 
um, hopefully much, much, much sooner, um, if all goes well, according to uh, that particular story. Uh, we have the latest episode of the Joe Blow Horror Show, which is uh, finally available, which is uh, me joining the guys to look at Re- Re- Sorry, um, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, trying to say all three words there at once. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, it should be um, available as part of their uh, Resident Evil um, franchise retrospective, which... That uh, was a, a lot of fun, and then definitely looking forward to uh, more with them. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but uh, we are in the final month of uh, Season 2 for Horror Countdown, uh, getting to be the uh, time of the year where the uh, show takes a break. So this is uh, the final three episodes, and uh, the latest one is uh, streaming releases that should have been theatrical. So Shutter, Netflix, Hulu, Tubi, uh, places like that. Not, uh, you know, releases that should have uh, gone to theaters but were dumped on a streaming service. I mean, releases that were streaming-only releases that should have been theatrical. So, yeah, that one was uh, a lot of fun and uh, should be available now as, uh, you know, we prepare for the final few episodes. And I've got some good stuff prepared. So uh, hopefully you're going to end season two on a bang. So if you're interested, uh, go ahead and check that one out. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I don't have uh, anything else available. All right. Uh, As far as me, uh, nothing as of yet. But as Venna mentioned, uh, we've got No More Room in Hell episode 56 scheduled. So hopefully that will record Friday. Um, And then... What are we what's what's releasing in the theater this week, Venom? Do you know? This week we have a haunting in Venice and Satanic Hispanics. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Satanic I... Hispanics is probably not a wide release. Um, uh, haunting in Venice definitely is. I'm not even 100 percent sure how excited you guys are for Venice uh, for Haunting in Venice because it is an Agatha Christie story. Um, but it is, it's her story that kind of leans in the horror, um, subgenre more, more heavily than any of her other stories. So yeah, it I, is a horror I've story. I've seen the trailer a couple times. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen the trailer a couple times at the theater. It looks kind of like a mystery thriller with horror leanings. Mm-hmm. Oh. So like I said, we've got that, we've got satanic Hispanics, um, I don't think um, I never got a chance to see Megalomaniac this weekend. That sucks. Um, I ended up getting kind of busy. But as I flip through my AMC listings, yeah, it looks like those are the only ones. Okay. Yeah, and we can also, I mean, it's only Monday, so we can keep an eye on, like, what the VOD schedule looks like as well, just in case. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, I'm not sure if Satanic Hispanics is getting a simultaneous theatrical VOD release. I'm hoping, but if not, you know, you know, we could wait for its official VOD release. It's up to you guys. Yeah, because yeah. I, th- I think a while back I saw it's getting, like, a showtime here, but it might be one of those, like, one-night event, and it's at exactly. one specific theater, so it makes it kind of difficult to plan around that, so... Yep. 
Um, hopefully, if, yeah, if it's not a simultaneous VOD release, hopefully it's like a near future VOD release, and then we can tackle it at that time. But yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, there's those. There'll be plenty of uh, releases probably by the end of the week. So um, with that said, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Fresh Cuts. We will be back next week with another episode. So let's say bye to our listeners. Later. As Hulk Hogan always said, drink your milk, take your vitamins, and say your prayers, or Valak will come get you. <laughs> <laughs>